This morning, I'm going to talk about something, uh, especially on Father's Day or Man Day or Significant Man Day or whatever you want to call it. Uh, did, everyone, did every male in here get their flashlight? Okay. Can you throw me a flashlight, babe? Yeah. I want to just show the Facebook people. Should have been to church today. Okay. There we go. Good. We're going to need these throughout the service, so uh, trust me. Um, When I was growing up, uh, I was raised in a generation that subscribed to the idea as a man of uh, rugged individualism. And rugged individualism uh, started with uh, around the uh, uh, Hoover area, almost uh, uh, era, and uh, Herbert Hoover. And um, he had this idea that that we could get out of our troubles as Americans if we would just be rugged individuals. And that's where the terminology began to really infiltrate of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And so it was all about, you know, being your own man. A man takes care of himself. A man has everything put together. And what began to happen was we began to create a generation of men who became nervous about being vulnerable with other men. Okay, that was called sissy. It was called lots of other words. And, uh, and so if you grew up in that era or whatever, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that you didn't really share with another man. You were supposed to have it all together. Uh, as a matter of fact, in 1954, um, 30 years before I was born... Um, <laughs> There was this campaign. You guys know who this is? It's the Marlboro Man. Marlboro did their job. You all know who that is. Uh, Did you know that four of the models died of cigarette-related diseases? Bet you didn't know that, right? Because these are rugged individuals. They smoke. They wear cowboy hats. They ride horses. They drive in trucks, like big trucks, carrying big trailers full of toys. And it's man stuff. It's just really man stuff. And the other thing that began during that time was this whole idea of what I do in my personal life is none of your business. It is none of your business. It's my business. And so I can do what I want, I can say what I want, I can be who I want, and really it's just you just keep your life to yourself, and I keep my life to myself. And so what happened was we began to just isolate, we began to become individualistic. Now what's happened throughout time into now is that rugged individualism has become narcissism. That, that now it's become all about me. What I want to wear, who I want to be, what I want to say, what I want to believe, what I, how I want to use my body, how I want to live. It's all about me. And you don't have anything to say about me. And I don't have anything to say about you. Because you need to take care of you and be the best you you can be. And I need to become the best me I can be. Now, I know I sound like a grumpy old man yelling at the clouds, okay? I realize that. But this is is the reality. And here's one of the problems. It doesn't work. Individualistic lifestyles where it's just about me, I consumerism, I order what I want, when I want, get what I want, be who I want, say what I want, believe what I want. None of that works. And here's how I know. All I have to do is look at statistics. I was on the internet for literally 
15 minutes, and here's what I found out. And these are all articles between uh, 2017 and 2018. Depression on the rise. Anxiety on the rise. Alcoholism on the rise. Opioid addiction on the rise. 600% in 10 years. Suicide on the rise. Between 15 and 34, it's the second cause of death. Washington Post, mental illness, especially amongst teens, on the rise. It does not work to be isolated. And I'm not picking on men this morning, but it is Father's Day. And something funny always happens at Father's Day. Do you know Mother's Day is one of our most attended services is Mother's Day? And here's why. Because the mother goes, I don't want anything for Mother's Day. I just want you to go to church with me. And everyone's like, I'll buy you a car, I swear, okay? Just anything but that. And so everybody gets drug in. And I, I meet all sorts of new people on Mother's Day. And they're just like, hi, don't get used to me. I'm not going to be back next week. <laughs> Unless next week's like a second Mother's Day or Grandma's Day, I'm not coming back, right? Father's Day is one of the least attended services. So for those of you who are here, you get special treatment. You get a flashlight, man. Come on. Because what? The fathers are like, what do you want for Father's Day? To be left alone. <laughs> okay. Sweet. You know, they're all sleeping. And if you just woke up and you're on Facebook Live, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here anyway. So, so it, it, it just doesn't work. Now, how, how could it be... In the United States, the richest country in the world, we're, we're highly educated. We have all the things we could possibly want. None of us, at least in this room, and really around are, are starving to death, okay? Most have some type of food and shelter and transportation. And yet all these things are happening in our country. You know, it's, you know, it's fascinating to me. I mean, not fascinating. It's not like they're lab rats or anything, but... This is um, among the wealthiest. The numbers go up. We've seen in the last two weeks what happens when you get isolated. What happens when you, when you, when you shrink in. And so the, way, the analogy I like to use is that God has created you with this body and this life that's supposed to be uh, an adventure. It's supposed to be shared in community. It's supposed to be like off-roading and all this kind of stuff. And yet, we're just stuck. This is the picture I have for that. You have all this potential. Yeah. That's a little driving tip right there. Don't, uh, he didn't make it, by the way. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he made it, but none of his toys did. But you have all this potential toys in the toy trailer and the truck and everything. And it's just like stuck, mired. Because we're unwilling to turn the light on ourselves. We have stuff that's hidden. We have stuff that we just wish nobody would see. We have stuff that we say, it's none of your business. It's between, okay, ready? Me and God. Wait, who, who, who said my wife? That was good. <laughs> it's between me and God. Because I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so for you, I'm going to show you some parts of my life. And then for the parts that I keep hidden, the parts that I'm afraid to share, the parts I'm ashamed of, the parts that I, 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 I feel like if I showed you those parts, you'd run screaming. 
Those parts are going to be between me and God because I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And here's what I'm here to tell you this morning and hopefully you'll get by the end of this morning. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's personal, but it's not private. It's not private. My personal relationship with Jesus is public. Okay? I talk to a group of people very intimately about my personal relationship with Jesus and how it's going. It's personal, but it's not private. And when it becomes private, that's what happens to my life. In every single area of my life, and this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, where I have grown, where I have seen freedom, where I have seen the largest amounts of progress have happened under the umbrella of accountability with another human being. And this is true for all of us. I'll bet you could look at places in your life where you say, man, I grew a lot once I got a personal trainer once I got somebody to help me with my diet, once I joined Weight Watchers, once I joined a recovery group, once I uh, did this, or maybe it's just I wanted to play piano. You had a piano teacher. She held you accountable or he held you accountable. I say she because my piano teacher, it was every Thursday morning. I was very little. I've been to counseling for this. And I would have to go to, and, and, and I knew on Thursday morning she was going to go, what did you do all week? And so that night before, I would do everything I could to learn piano in one night, okay? But I knew she was going to hold me accountable for that. If you've ever been in sports and you have a coach and you see lots of progress in that sport, it was most likely because he and the team were holding you accountable. You say, well, I'm a self-made person. No one's held me accountable. Yeah, try showing up to work late and see what happens. You don't walk in and you're just like, hey, my time is between me and God, okay? You just back up. I'm going to be here when I want to be here, okay? You'll have that job for a couple minutes, and then it'll be over. Because why? You have accountability. It's, it's baked into our human bread. Here's the flip side. I have noticed in my own life that when I don't have accountability, when I keep things hidden just between me and God, I don't see progress. It's at best stagnant until I take the risk and I turn the flashlight on and I say, here's the spot that needs to change. So what I wanted to do this morning was show you where in scripture we find all this nonsense. And, uh, and then I'm going to challenge you uh, at the end to do something maybe uh, you might not want to do very much. So Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. And um, if you read First and Second Corinthians, you get the idea that the Corinthian church wasn't really that great. <laughs> Paul spends a lot of his time, he spends a lot of time loving on them and telling them, that's a term I don't use very much, uh, loving them. And then uh, he spends a lot of time rebuking them. And that's fascinating to me. Because I would imagine that their lives with Jesus would be just between them and Jesus. Why should Paul butt into their lives? Why does Paul care what they do? If I do something on my own and it doesn't affect you, why, why can't I just go and do my own thing? And you might say, you're right, John, it's none of my business, none of our business. What you want to do is between you and God. And Paul breaks through that. 
in, the, in, in these two books and says, man, what you're doing in some different areas is not good. He actually rebukes them. He actually goes after them. And so what he starts to do is he talks about this idea that we're all connected in this, this body. That, that when we accepted Jesus into our hearts or we, however you started your personal relationship with Jesus, it wasn't just personal and private. It was personal and you became part of a body, an organism of people. And the idea was that each part of the body would be helping each other. Helping one another, encouraging one another, teaching one another, rebuking one another. That's frightening. Here's what he says. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Okay, this is how he starts off. He starts off a couple verses before saying, you guys are all part of a body. And then he starts with this argument. And you can think about it. Think about your own body. I'm walking along and I step on a rusty nail. Okay? And it goes right up into my foot. Right? I did that because I wanted to get the expression that I got on most of your faces. You kind of felt that, didn't you? Like even when I said right up into your foot, you were like, ah. Right? It's not that my hands go, ah, look at the stupid foot just stepped on a nail. Like my brain is like, oh, don't worry about it. He does that all the time. It's just between him and the Lord. He's really into rusty nails. I'm not going to judge him, okay? He's just rusty nail foot. The other foot's cool. The other foot, that doesn't do anything wrong. That foot, oh, it's always a rusty nail every week. I don't know, whatever. He should confess his sins to God, okay, and get it all figured out. No, what happens is when I put my foot on that rusty nail, immediately my leg engages, to pull it off the nail, okay? My mouth engages to share my thoughts about the incident, okay? This other leg locks up to take the full brunt of the weight of my body. I, first of all, can't believe I've been standing on one leg this long, okay? My hands come out to brace myself. We don't just go, yeah, that crazy foot, it's like every week. My brain engages and says, I have tetanus. At least mine does, because that's what I'm always worried about, some type of disease. My brain says, I'm going to have tetanus in two weeks. Then my fingers look up on Google, how do you die of tetanus? Okay. <laughs> my whole body engages. Why? Because my foot is connected to my whole body. That's why when I said... A nail went through your foot. Half of you kind of like on, in your back just kind of like cringe because you're, you're, you're connected. In the same way, as wacky as it sounds, your life, your personal relationship with Jesus, how you treat your body, the decisions you make, what you fill your mind with, what, what, how you communicate with people, how you control or do not control your emotions has an impact on the body of Christ. He goes on to talk about eyes and ears and the same type of language. And then he says this, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He keeps going on, and then he says, uh, 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 as it is, there are many parts but one body. And so, 
We don't typically think of it that way. What we typically think of, and we say it here every single week, it's better when you're here. It just is. But even if you weren't here, you're still part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the body of Christ, and you're the part of the body of Christ, of people you haven't even seen yet. And in some weird way, they can affect us. I'll I'll give you an example. When I am out and... uh, uh, I say I'm a pastor. I usually, uh, I never ask anyone what they do for a living because I'm afraid they're going to ask me. And then the whole conversation just dies right there. Once I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, okay, see you later. Uh, they either do that or they go, yeah, I got to get to church. I'm like, oh, all right, whatever. So, uh, so I, when I say I'm a pastor, then the questions usually start coming. Hey, do you know this pastor? Do you know this pastor? Do you know this pastor? Like we're all cousins or something. And then what will happen is someone will pick a pastor. Pick a, Peter picked a pastor. Someone will pick a pastor, like happened to me just yesterday. Somebody said, hey, what do you think about Pastor X? And I can't stand Pastor X, okay? Because Pastor X has made a series of decisions that reflect poorly on the body of Christ. He is the foot that keeps stepping on the nail, that affects the entire body. Now, do I make bad decisions? Yes. I'm just telling you my humanness, his life affects me because we are connected under this umbrella of Jesus. You might have that yourself where you're at work and there's another Christian maybe. And it's like you begin to get into a conversation with someone about Jesus and they walk up and you're like, oh no. Here we go. It's over. Forget it. Right? Because they're a part. They're a part of us. And so he says we're all part of one body. Now watch. The eye cannot say to the hand, this is super, super important, I don't need you. In other words, whatever part of the body you are, and we won't go around trying to figure out who's who, but whatever part of the body you are, you cannot sit there and say, I don't need anybody. It's impossible. Once we're connected through Christ, we need each other. We were not designed to go it alone. We were not designed to live by ourselves like the Marlboro Man. We were not designed, and the Bible never makes any indication at all, ever, New Testament, Old Testament, of rugged individualism. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the opposite. You're flawed. You're weak. You need help. You can't do it on your own. Now, you can take that as an insult and say, well, I can do it on my own. And the Bible would say, go for it. It ain't going to work. But you can try. God's not sitting there going, I don't know. He says, you can try it if you want. So he says, you can't say to that. uh, The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You look around and maybe you think, I'm better than everybody. I, don't, I can't really learn from this person. The Bible says you can learn from anybody. They're all indispensable. The more relationships you can get into that know who you are, what you struggle with, and where you're wanting to go in life, the better off you are. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts 
that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. There is this beautiful language that every single one of you, in the sound of my voice, online or here, every single one of you is invaluable to another person. We need you. We need you open and honest and available and vulnerable. We're part of the same body. Now, the next verse talks about why. And this is usually where we stop. So that there should be no division in the body. And at this point, uh, we talk about, um, you know, uh, churches that divide over silly things, the color of the carpet, or you stopped, you know, at the donut cart. I love donuts, and now you put bagels out there, and I hate bagels, and whatever. You know, the church is split over all, all that kind of stuff. And so we talk about this no division. We need to be unified. But really, really, you know what the crux of this whole thing is? It's the second part of this verse. And it's, it's when, you, when you actually do the study of what it really says, it's mind-boggling. Yes, we don't want any division, but it goes on. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. This word concern, you know what it is? Anxiety. There's a verse in the Bible in Philippians 4.20. It says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Bible's saying, don't be anxious about anything. And yet Paul says, oh, there's one thing you can be anxious about. It's the exact same word, each other. As a matter of fact, earlier in Philippians in chapter 2, he's talking to the church and he says, I have nobody else of kindred spirits who is generally concerned for your welfare. Same same word, anxious. The same word he uses in chapter 4 about being anxious for nothing. It's It's almost like the word of God is saying this. Don't be anxious about things or circumstances. You're already going to be too busy worrying about each other. That's what you should be worried about. And that's why when we have this body of Christ, we should be concerned for anyone who's had kids or loved ones or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever. You've had those things where you didn't know where they were. Maybe they had gotten involved in something. And you go, man, their life is going down the tubes and you're praying and you're on your knees and you're just, you're just crying out to God. God, I don't know if they're going to turn around. I don't know if they're going to find their way. I don't know what's going on with that. That is exactly the imagery Paul is using about you and I thinking about each other. That we're literally anxious. We're worried for each other. We're worried about the state of each other's soul. It goes on. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In this weird, cosmic, eternal kingdom way, the Bible is saying that my spiritual life, my sinfulness or my righteousness has a direct impact on you, even though you might not know what it is. 
I have to go to the dentist soon. Here's a picture of somebody at the dentist. That has never been my experience at the dentist. Okay? I don't like going to the dentist. And if you're a dentist here, I'm sorry. People don't like going to the pastor either, okay? So this is my experience at the dentist. Okay? That's what it feels like to me. And here's how I look at the dentist, or at least feel like I look, okay? So... That's it. So let's get back to, let's get back to her because she looks, she looks happy. I don't like going to the dentist because it's, I, there's many different reasons. One, I, I had a horrible childhood with dentists, okay? Again, already been to counseling, think I got to figure it figured out. Uh, and and uh, so I just, just the whole dentist office just kind of tightens me up a little bit. And so then you sit in the chair and, and you just get into a really vulnerable position. Like you're like coming back and like you feel like you're in like a captain's chair that's going to the moon, okay? And that light is so bright. And you have to open up your mouth. Like a 98 degree Petri dish of just disease, okay? And you open your mouth and you know they're going to shine that light. It's just like this right in your eyes, Right? Just like, I won't even show you guys the inside of my mouth. It'll be frightening. And you're so vulnerable, and it, and it doesn't feel good and all that. But, but here's what we know. If I don't go to the dentist, it's going to go poorly for me in the long run. And so my dentist, he has this, the bright light, and then he flips these goggles over to give him like three times the size like my ovula looks like a punching bag or whatever that thing is that floats in the back of your neck. It's gigantic. And he sees every little discrepancy, every little thing. And he's got these tools to go get at him. And things, there's suction stuff in there. And it's just, it's a horrible, horrible experience. But I have to go to the dentist. Or that little decay is going to fester and fester and fester. And that tiny cavity is going to grow and grow and grow. And if I don't get it, I'm going to need to get a crown. And if I don't get it by then, I'm going to need to get a root canal. And if I don't get a root canal, I'm going to lose the tooth. In the same way, in the exact same way, if you do not expose your life at three times magnification <laughs> to another human being, that, de- that little bit of decay, that little bit of sin, that little bit of thing that's been festering will lead you to destruction. God did not design us to have just a personal relationship with him. It's beautiful. I love mine. But I have found That I grow closest to God when I'm growing closest to the community that loves me. And will turn the light on my life. I have several people in my life that do this in several different areas of my life. They'll call me up. My finances. I I don't make a large financial decision until I I have this one person I call every time. And we go through the, 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 the financial decision. 
We had to buy two cars in the last few years. I called him on both of them. And he's like, do you really need an, you know, a Jaguar? I'm like, yes, says, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> I do. I, and I want, but here's the thing. I'm going to get a license plate that says blessed. And we'll give all the glory to the Lord. <laughs> Just blessed. It's going to be two Zs, blessed. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. All for Jesus. Maybe that's it. No, that's the license plate. All for Jesus. Yeah, give God the glory. Amen. All right, now, we go through the whole thing. Why? Because, because I, need, I need self-control in that area. I need somebody going, hey, well, you know, wh- wh- why are you doing that? I have all sorts of areas where I've grown and where I've been f- released and I've been f- set free. Because I have somebody who's willing to do this. Now, listen. Do you think the dentist likes looking in my mouth? You think he wakes up in the morning, he's like, who's on the thing? Yes, John. Beautiful mouth. I love it. Been looking forward to this all week. I call and cancel. He's like, oh, honey, how was your day? Oh, John canceled. Oh, oh, he doesn't like it. Right? Just like I don't like being in accountability with people. I don't like them asking me personal questions, and I don't like asking them personal questions. I would rather not know oftentimes. But here's what I found in my life. Turned upside down. It always, always, always goes better for me in the long run. Here's another thing about dentists. Do you know that dentists, it's going to blow your mind. I looked it up. Dentists go to the dentist. You think about that? A dentist knows everything about dentist stuff. He knows the difference between a bicuspid and a chomper. He knows, uh, he knows the difference about enamel and cavities and how to do stuff and whip stuff up. But, but guess what happens? When it comes to his own mouth, he can't look at it. I mean, he probably can, but he needs another dentist. Now, the trick is find the dentist your dentist goes to. That would be cool because he's probably better than the dentist that's there. He goes in just like everybody else. And he lays back and he gets into a vulnerable position. And guess what? His dentist asks him. How's that Porsche? No, I'm just, that's a dentist joke. Okay, right? He, he asks him the same questions. Yeah, he looks in there. Hey, you've got decay. Well, I'm a dentist, man. I, could, I can't have decay. What is this? No, he, no dentists need to go to dentists. I don't care how spiritual you are, how much you know, how long you've been a Christian, how long you've held off on on having accountability that's real, that's vulnerable. It doesn't matter how long. You need to have your life examined by another human being in order to grow in Christ. Happy Father's Day. Here are some other verses uh, that the Bible talks about. As iron sharpens iron, so another person sharpens another. And if you've had a friend in any area of your life, whether it be um, in, your corp- in the corporate world or whatever, somebody's challenging you, maybe you have a tennis partner or a workout partner or, or whatever, when you have somebody next to you with the same goals and the same dreams about becoming godly, you sharpen each other. I, w- I was going to the gym for years by myself. And I basically did the same thing. And then I joined this gym with Lisa. 
And, and the guy just pushes you. Annoyingly, but he pushes you. And it just, you just, it just makes a difference. It just happens in your finances. You ever, you ever had something going on in your finances? And, and then you read a book that challenges you and you get in a group, maybe a, a Dave Ramsey group. If you want to start one, I can get you all set up with that if you want. And you get your budget in order and you're, you're coming and meeting weekly and you're going, yeah, I, I, we did the envelope system and this worked and that worked. And you're all helping us. You sharpen one another. Ecclesiastes, uh, oh no, Ecclesiastes says it this way. Um, uh, uh, um, one man is not, does not do well on his own. Two, if one falls down, one can pick up. And then it says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You get three dudes or three ladies in a group that are dead serious about holiness, you can't stop them. You cannot stop them. Growth will happen. Now, Here's what the Bible says. We'll wrap it up. Therefore, confess your sins to Jesus privately in a room where no one can hear you. Make sure nobody listens. Write it on a piece of paper and then put it in the shredder. Your sins are forgiven. Mm. Or put it in a bonfire. Or come up with some sins that maybe don't really mean that much and leave out the ones that are really, really hard. He knows you'll be okay. No. Confess your sins to each other. I hate that verse. But it's there. And it's not going anywhere. And it's been there for a long time. And it was written by Jesus' brother. Okay? Half-brother, technically. Right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. See, one of the things my dentist does not do when I open my mouth, as frightening and as scary as it is, he doesn't go, oh, oh, nothing, no, I've seen, I've seen way, way worse. I've seen, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to see way worse at some point, but that, uh, he doesn't do that. He just gets in there, he cleans it up, whatever. When, when, when I leave, if they're all giggling in the back, I don't really care. I just need my teeth fixed. And oftentimes we're just, we think about if I open up my heart to somebody, if I tell somebody, what are they going to think? Who cares? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. If somebody doesn't like your sin or thinks you're a horrible person, find another accountability partner that doesn't freak out. Because here's why it is so, so, so important. This verse doesn't just end with the command. It gives you a reason why. So that you may be healed. Some of you, if you don't get into this rhythm of confession, you're going to end up having an affair. Whatever you're, the way you're going about your life, and I don't know everybody's story, I'm just doing statistics right now. You're flirting, you're going to the cubicle, you drive by home a certain way, maybe she'll be outside, maybe whatever. Proverbs 6 talks about the whole process. Until you open up your soul to another person, you say, you know what? I have a crush on a coworker, and I need somebody that when I'm just like, I'm going to go over and talk to her or to him at work, I need to be able to call you up and say, dude, I'm struggling. And bring it out into the light. 
I used to travel for business. I had, we had a rule, okay, not to get into all the details, but when you're alone uh, traveling and you're in a hotel room all by yourself and there's a TV there, there are things on that TV that are not appropriate. And so I have a friend uh, who would hold me accountable in this and I would hold him accountable in this and we'd say, I'd, I'd say, dude, when I get into that hotel room, the first phone call I'm going to make is to you. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to figure something out. And so we did. It worked wonderfully. It worked wonderfully. Now, that's embarrassing. Heck, I mean, that's embarrassing to, like, say, like, that. I just said it to you guys. (laughs) Do you know why I could? Because I told him. It wasn't hidden anymore. Some of you are on the road to addiction. Some of you are on the road to losing a relationship. Some of you are on the road to not being able to handle your anger. You've got to tell somebody to be healed. You can pray to God, ask him to take it away miraculously. He may. Good luck. Okay, I haven't had that experience and I get paid to be spiritual. Okay, it's when I tell another human being. So here's what we're going to do. Hopefully you all got a connection card. Uh, And if you didn't, I'd like you to get one on on your way out. We fill out those connection cards. They're very important to us. It's how we track, you know, obviously, you know, the whole story that we track people. So we can follow up with them to make sure they don't fall through the cracks. And you know why we do that? Because what we've found is that when people are struggling in their life, they don't want to be seen. There's a circle of shame of maybe they're not living the way. They think all of you, this is so funny, they think all of you are really, really spiritual and have your life all together. They believe that. I don't know why I know. They believe I am super spiritual and I have my life all together. And so when their life starts to come off the rails, rather than come to church, rather than be around other Christians, they isolate themselves. We don't want that to happen. We don't think that's healthy. We think when you get into a place in your life, when you're at your rawest and you're doing your worst and you're, and you're just saying, if you knew my thoughts, if you knew my actions, we weirdly think that's the time to come forward. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you don't have somebody, an accountability partner, somebody that you can bare your soul to, I'm going to ask you, if you'd like, to put on the back of your connection card, accountability. That's all you have to put, is accountability. Male, female, doesn't matter. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to match you up with somebody. Now you say, oh my gosh, what if I don't even know them? That's the best. Trust me, when I get, I used to get accountability partners, I'd seek them out because I didn't know them. Because I found that my friends kind of knew me, and I knew how to wiggle and squirm my way around everything. But for the people I didn't know, they would just ask these just flat-out questions. In your, in your uh, worship folder, you got 22 questions that John Wesley, who's part of our church history, would ask. They had a holy club, and they'd ask themselves this every single day. They'd get together, and they'd go, these are the questions I want to be asked. Did I pray about how I spent my money? What? Pray about it. If you got it, spend it. That's what I say, right? Did I pray about it? It's God's money. And so you just write accountability on there, and we will match you up with somebody. And we're going to talk about it, but I think the best is actually three. 
Three people. Do you know why? Because if one person can't make it to your weekly meeting or however you do it, phone call, Skype, video, whatever, however you do it, if one person doesn't make it, guess what happens? The other person's left behind. With three, while it might be uncomfortable to tell two people what you're struggling with, you have a better chance of at least two of you matching up weekly. Okay? Now, you're like, John, I did not come to church for this, <laughs> right? I didn't come to church to like be held accountable to stuff. I just wanted to come. I wanted to have the worship songs that I like with the worship people that I like, that I want it to be the way I like it. I want it to last as long as I want it to last. I want to go home and I want to feel good about myself. It's okay if you convict me a little bit. I'll say, good job, pastor. Ooh, that, went, that got me right in the heart. Oh, that was awesome. And then I want to go home and forget about it. This is difficult. This is harder than that. You just write accountability. And we're going to set you up with somebody else, one or two people, to help you along this process. You say, what if they blab it out to everybody? It's possible. It's a risk. What if your dentist hits a nerve? Like you got a bad haircut one time. Did did you stop getting haircuts or did you just go to a different barber? You went to a different barber. It's not like you just said, I, I tried to get a haircut one time, and I'm not, you know, your hair is dragging along on the ground. I, I'll never do it again, right? No, you find another barber. Yeah, you had a little bit of pain. But the pain of being betrayed by somebody in your accountability group is nothing like the pain of being exposed in your sin when you can no longer control it. 